Welcome to the Mixtape, a podcast that delves into all things music. Join host Mia Esperanza as she takes you on a journey through the world of sound and rhythm, exploring the latest trends, classic favorites, and hidden gems in the music industry. From rock and roll to country and blues, from pop to classical, Mia will share her passion for music with you and give you a new appreciation for the art that moves us. So sit back, turn up the volume, let's get ready to rock. This is the Mixtape. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Mixtape. I'm your host, Mia Esperanza, and today's episode is going to cover the fascinating and wild history of Skull's Rainbow Room in Nashville, Tennessee. We're shining a spotlight on a venue that's been a staple of the Nashville music scene for over 70 years. Nestled in the heart of the city, Skull's Rainbow Room has literally seen it all, from legendary performers to wild nights of bootlegging and gambling. But ultimately, what sets this venue apart is the mysterious history, rumors of secret tunnels, hidden rooms, and even a potential ghostly resident have been added to the allure of what is, in my opinion, one of the most iconic venues I've ever been to. Today, we're gonna delve into the history of Skull's Rainbow Room, uncover the stories behind the music that happened there, and explore the magic that has made this venue a must visit, in my opinion, for anyone who loves Music City, loves music, loves history, and ultimately loves Nashville. So in order for us to really get a feel of what Skull's Rainbow Room is like, we have to talk about where the heck Skull's Rainbow Room actually is. So Skull's Rainbow Room is located in this really teeny tiny but thriving and iconic strip in Nashville, Tennessee called Printer's Alley. It's a small but exciting alleyway that's located right in the heart of downtown Nashville. And this alleyway is insanely storied and has tons of stories, history, and kind of legends associated with it. And this stuff dates all the way back to the mid 19th, 18th century. So originally it's called Printer's Alley for a reason and it was known as a hub for the city's printing and publishing industries. So odds are, if you were in the state of Tennessee at this point in time and you had any kind of print material on you, it came more than likely from Printer's Alley. It was really a hot spot for this kind of thing. Originally, Printer's Alley was primarily known as just that, the hub and the alleyway for the city's printing and publishing industries. So this alleyway became sort of the hot spot in the home to a number of printing presses, book binderies, small shops and businesses, and anything and everything that could possibly cater to a local publishing industry. During the Prohibition era, which lasted from the 1920s to the 1930s, Printer's Alley was not just the local printing industry. It quickly became a hotbed of speakeasies, jazz clubs, and other things that kind of come along with that sort of activity, including those that may be illicit. The alleyway quickly became known for its rowdy atmosphere 
and it ended up attracting a colorful cast of characters and people, including bootleggers, gangsters, politicians, even some musicians, you know, just the normal run-of-the-mill crowd. In the 1940s and the 1950s, Printer's Alley quickly became the hub for country music in Nashville. Many of the city's top musicians and songwriters began to frequent these clubs and bars that line the alleyway, and a lot of them ended up getting their start or a slight rocket boost to the top of stardom in Printer's Alley. Printer's Alley continues to be a popular destination for music lovers and visitors to Nashville. The alleyway is home to a number of historic buildings, including the Printer's Building and the Exchange Building, as well as a variety of bars, restaurants, and music venues that pay homage to the alleyway's rich and colorful history. So when I was in Printer's Alley in December, I had never been to this area of Nashville. I went once with my parents when I think I was maybe 16, so not nearly enough to kind of enjoy this side of Nashville's history, at least the Broadway side and the Printer's Alley side. And Printer's Alley was by far one of my favorite parts of my trip. There is so many stories that go into Printer's Alley as a whole, and the fact that it is such a small alleyway and so much has happened there, I just, it blows my mind. It is a must see. If you go to Nashville, go see Broadway, go see the Parthenon, go do all that fun stuff, but go to Printer's Alley and talk to all the locals about Printer's Alley because the amount of stories and the amount of history that has come from that small, tiny little strip will probably just blow you away. And so in today's episode, I hope that you get just a slight glimpse into that because we are gonna be talking about Skull's Rainbow Room and the story and the history behind that venue in itself. I can talk for hours. I'm not going to, but I'm telling you I can because it is just that interesting. So as decades rolled on, Printer's Alley has changed and evolved, and it has been one of those hotbeds to reflect the shifting trends and tastes of both the locals and the tourists. The alleyway saw periods of decline, revitalization, but ultimately, overall, it's remained a popular music destination for entertainment throughout the years between locals and visitors alike. But when it comes down to it, Printer's Alley, in my opinion, should be considered a cultural landmark in Nashville. This alleyway has so many historic buildings, so many bars, restaurants, and they all are a nod to the original history of the area, and that's what I find the most exciting. So with that, one of the most famous venues in Printer's Alley, and in my opinion, one of the most storied venues that I've ever heard of, is Skull's Rainbow Room. It was founded in 1948 and has played a beyond historic and important role in the city's music and entertainment scene ever since its founding. The club has hosted an impressive, and when I say impressive, I feel like that is very light, like probably one of the most impressive rosters of musicians, and I'm not going to tell you who they are yet, but when I tell you the names on this list, and these are just the ones that I could get a little bit of concrete evidence that this actually happened. And there are just so many people that have been to this bar and so many stories that have come out of this venue that it's just, it's beyond exciting to understand the amount of music history and the amount of stories that have come out of this place. 
Now, when it comes to an area as historic and as traveled as Nashville, Tennessee, you know that there's going to be some rumors, some speculations, and all kind of stories that go into the making of what is famous in Nashville. And so when it comes to Skull's Rainbow Room, they're no exception, and there has been plenty of rumors and kind of ideas about the bar and the original building's history. Some people have said and believe that the building that houses Skull's Rainbow Room currently was a brothel during the Prohibition era. Record keeping was not nearly as extensive as it is now, so that kind of claim is really hard to back up, but I like to think it makes the story just a little bit more interesting. And so they think it could have been a brothel during the Prohibition era, but there's no concrete evidence to support this. But for my purposes, I'm gonna go with it was. However, what we do know is that Skull's Rainbow Room opened in 1948. It was a popular spot for music, drinks, entertainment, and even a very fabulous burlesque show. And the coolest part is that now that Skull's Rainbow Room is reopened, they still do burlesque. So if you want to go see a burlesque show, go do it where they had it originally, where it started at Skull's Rainbow Room. It's a beautiful show. I have not been lucky enough to go yet, but I fully plan on experiencing it this next time that I go. But ultimately, because it was founded in 1948, it's become a hot spot for music, drinks, entertainment, burlesque, and the histories and stories that kind of surround this bar have made it into a historic venue and landmark in Nashville. It's been a fixture of the city's nightlife scene for over 70 years, and its roots are some of the coolest that I've ever seen. So in order to get a full picture of Skull's Rainbow Room, which was originally just the Rainbow Room, we have to talk a little bit about the owner. So with context clues, you could kind of figure out that the owner was Skull. So he opened the club in 1948 and his name was David Skull Shulman. And he was a vaudeville performer, entertainer. He grew up locally in the area and originally it was just known as the Rainbow Room, but it quickly became a popular destination for locals and tourists. The venue was known for the live music, the colorful decor, the vibrant atmosphere, and ultimately it really came down to Skull's personality as a whole. He drew people in from everywhere and he was just a super colorful personality and it was reflected both in the decor and the music that he invited into Skull's Rainbow Room, or the Rainbow Room at the time. Eventually, he would be a regular on the show Hee Haw. Every time I tell my parents that, they're kind of like, oh my gosh, I watched that show growing up. Uh, but he was actually on the show quite a few times, and he loved to dress eccentrically. He'd have rhinestone jackets, and he most famously would walk his poodles on a rhinestone leash up and down Printer's Alley. And he loved poodles to the point where he was even given a gift of a poodle from a very famous musician, which we're gonna touch on a little bit later. These poodles were so loved by him and he just really lived through them and his personality just really shined through in everything that he did to the point where, now this could very well be a rumor, uh, I had to search lots of blog posts and stuff for research, so if you guys have ever heard of any other stories, if you know anyone who maybe interacted with Skull, please reach out, go to miasmixtape.com, 
send me a contact form and let me know the stories that you have heard about Skull or your family's interacted with Skull because this is probably one of my favorite stories that I've been able to research so far. Sorry for the segue. But he was known to dye his dogs different colors, especially on Christmas. He would walk them red and green poodles up and down Prino's Alley just to kind of spread cheer, encourage a fun atmosphere, and just really have his own personality shine through as like an extension of himself. But this guy was beyond incredibly beloved by the entire community. And the Rainbow Room is said to have been what has brought Printer's Alley really back to life. Printer's Alley at the time of its opening was not really the nicest part of town. It was something that a lot of people didn't see as being a overt success because of the area of Nashville that it was in. And so with Skull being able to open the Rainbow Room and to make something that was a classy establishment and drew all the right kinds of people into the area to kind of revitalize it and give Printer's Alley this new type of life and atmosphere, he was, he was celebrated because of it. It got to the point where his persona and his work in Printer's Alley earned him the title, unofficial, but still, the mayor of Printer's Alley, to the point where he actually got a giant key. And if you guys go look at the blog post of this episode, I'll post this picture with it, but he accepted a key and the title of unofficial mayor of Printer's Alley on June 7th in 1989. And he received that key from Ricky Johnson, who was a record promoter, and Elmer Fudpucker, who was a country comedian. Skull was ultimately honored by the music promoter and the comedian because of the fact that he had been in Printer's Alley as a business owner for 46 years at that point. So he was really there for a long time and he was able to take Skull's Rainbow Room and prop Printer's Alley up into this new light that hadn't really been seen since the publishing industry was just super vital and super thriving in Nashville. But when it comes to Skull's Rainbow Room as a whole, the club, the bar, whatever you want to call it, it is iconically known for the atmosphere, the food, which is a whole nother topic. Oh my goodness gracious. If you are able to go to Skull's Rainbow Room and eat, Get the crawfish gnocchi. That is the best thing I've probably ever put in my mouth and ate. And it was just, it was beyond good. And if I could eat five platefuls of that, I probably would. And the entertainment was fabulous. I went during Christmas time and there was a beautiful Christmas decor set up with a jazz act. And it just, it took me back in time. And that was probably my favorite part of the experience was it was just so true to its roots that you stepped into another time period all the way from the menu to the music to the bathrooms. I mean, the whole experience was just phenomenal. But outside of just that core part of the experience, the entertainment is what really shot it to fame. It featured music, of course, but entertainment crossed a variety of forms in Skull's Rainbow Room. It included burlesque dancers, which is incredibly iconic, comedians, artists from jazz to country to even rock legends graced the checkered stage in the middle of the venue. But upon its opening, the Rainbow Room attracted 
literally some of the biggest names in the music industry, icons and celebrities that have ever held a household name, odds are they've been to Skull's Rainbow Room. So when it comes to entertainment, I definitely want to talk about who, what, when, where, why when it comes to Skull's Rainbow Room and some of this information because of the time period and the way record keeping was. Obviously we didn't have social media and phones, so it wasn't like someone at the bar had a cell phone and could just take a picture of a performer at this point. So some of this information may be speculative, um, but this is stuff that I gathered through the internet, dived into some archives and some personal accounts of people that encountered Skull and went to the Rainbow Room during its heyday. And so if you have heard anything different or if you have heard of additional people, which I know there are way more people than just what I have here, uh, send them to me. Let me know what you think and then hopefully one day we'll revisit this episode and we'll add on to Skull's Rainbow Room and the story that we have created here. So I'm actually going to spend some time and talk about the performers, the famous faces, and everything that just kind of dives into the extensive history of the Rainbow Room. And I'm going to start with not a musical performer. I know this is a music-based podcast, but I kind of geeked out over this one. If you know my family, if well, if you know my father specifically, he obsessed over this particular comedian and I have seen this comedian's show to the point where I could probably recite at least half of the episodes. So that is ingrained in my brain. And so when I saw this, I was very excited to hear it. But the house comedian at Skull's Rainbow Room was actually Andy Griffith. At least in my family, it's such a staple and an icon when it comes to comedy but he even had some musical talent as well, so it's really interesting to know that he was the house comedian at Skull's Rainbow Room right, right during the 1950s. So this kind of ties into our last episode a little bit, but even the king, the king graced Skull's Rainbow Room with his presence constantly, to the point where he actually became friends with Skull, and that famous face that gifted Skull a poodle, you guessed it, it was Elvis, to the point where Skull actually named his poodles Sweetie based on a recommendation from Elvis. When it comes to the rhinestone leash and the rhinestone jackets, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree when it comes to friendship, and you can tell that Skull definitely got some major inspiration from his buddy Elvis. So he and Skull got along super well. I mean, the guy got him a dog. It's just crazy to think about that. Elvis visited Skull's Rainbow Room, he played at Skull's Rainbow Room, even made friends with the owner. Johnny Cash also played at Skull's Rainbow Room. The Man in Black played at Skull's Rainbow Room numerous times throughout his career. And of course, he was one of the crowd's favorite. And he performed classic hits such as Folsom Prison Blues, Ring of Fire, and I Walk the Line to a ton of crowds. His deep, raspy voice and signature guitar strumming filled the room with a sense of nostalgia and left audiences in awe, just like he always did. But what I'm finding is the stories that come out of these smaller venues and these more intimate settings, they affect people in a much deeper way than when they go to these large sold out arenas. And I've been to a bunch of concerts and I know that music, it just hits different when you are up close and personal, especially when it's an icon. I mean, during that time, 
I can't imagine going and seeing like one of my idols at a small intimate setting venue, especially like in today's time. I don't even want to think about what that would cost me. But Skull's Rainbow Room, they had the king of rock and roll, the king of country, and they had the queen of country on the set list, Dolly Parton. Parton visited the Rainbow Room and it's rumored that her storytelling and her performances are some of the most electrifying performances in the venue's history. She has and is known to have a larger-than-life personality, her costumes and her blonde hair that just light up a room and bring a special energy to the stage. She is said to have performed songs like Jolene, 9 to 5, and Code of Many Colors, where the crowd sung and danced along with her. We also have Ray Charles. I mean, we're crossing genres crossing time periods, and just all of these icons that have been to this venue is just astounding to me. Ray Charles's visit to Skull's Rainbow Room were always highly anticipated, and his performances were always electrifying. He played some of his hits such as Georgia On My Mind, Hit The Road Jack, and What I'd Say. Patsy Cline. All of these people, by the way, are on the podcast to-do list, so if you really like one of these names, drop it in the contact form on my website and let me know you want that one quick because I can wiggle things around a little bit. There's some wiggle room there. But Patsy Cline, another country music icon. I mean, we are in Nashville, so you see a lot of that country music weaving its way back in there. But she ended up playing at Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1950s and 60s and performed some of her hits such as Crazy and Walking After Midnight. She consistently has an emotional delivery in all of her performances, but this one especially left audiences in tears and helped solidify her as a legend in the genre. And we're gonna hop back over into the jazz genre. The jazz legend Louis Armstrong played Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1950s, and he also brought along an infectious personality and horn playing skills to the stage. His renditions of Hello Dolly and What a Wonderful World are still remembered as some of the most iconic performances in the venue's history. It also saw rock icons. So Janis Joplin famously performed at the Skull's Rainbow Room in the late 1960s. And she wowed that crowd with a bluesy voice and an electric stage presence. And her performance of A Piece of My Heart is still talked about as one of the most memorable in the venue's history. Bob Dylan has also played Skull's Rainbow Room and graced the checkered stage shortly before he became a household name. He had intimate performances of some of his songs, such as Blowin' in the Wind and The Times Are a Changin'. Etta James, a soul icon, graced the checkered stage at Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1960s, and she delivered powerful performances of songs such as At Last and I'd Rather Go Blind. B.B. King, the king of blues himself. The blues legend played Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1970s, and he even brought his famous Lucille guitar and trademark guitar licks to the checkerboard stage. His performance of classics such as The Thrill Is Gone and Every Day I Have the Blues left audiences just in awe of his pure talent and charisma. Hank Williams, the country music pioneer, also played Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1940s before his tragic death at a young age. His performances of hits such as Your Cheatin' Heart and I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry 
helped establish him as one of the greatest songwriters and performers in country music history. Ella Fitzgerald, the jazz icon, also played Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1950s and 60s and delivered unforgettable performances of standards. Her incredible vocal range and improv improvisational, wow, big word, <laughs> improvisational skills made her a true legend of the genre. Jerry Lee Lewis, the rockabilly pioneer, played Skull's Rainbow Room in the 1950s and performed hits such as Great Balls of Fire and Whole Lot of Shaking Going On. His wild stage antics is actually what got him a spot in one of the historic performances when it comes to the Rainbow Room. Reba McIntyre also graced Skull's Rainbow Room stage and the country music superstar was there in the 1980s and 1990s. She performed some of her hits such as Fancy and The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, and her powerful voice and charismatic stage presence made her a fan favorite. Something that I found really unique about Skull's Rainbow Room is the fact that a very current country music star, Tim McGraw, actually got his start there. It, it was rumored that at this time, when he was just starting, he would play Skull's Rainbow Room and he was on the verge of quitting. It was a hard knock life, uh, as many musicians who are trying to make it in Nashville can probably relate to. He just was not getting the kind of traction in the timeline that he was wanting. And it is rumored that Skull encouraged him to play and try just one more time. Get on the checkerboard stage, just give it one more solid go. And Skull actually reached out to a few of his buddies who were in the recording industry and ended up helping get Tim McGraw discovered. I don't know how much of that is true, but I think that's a really inspiring story and it kind of lends itself to doubling down on how Skull just had such a giving personality and why this man was just so widely beloved. But one of my personal favorite accounts of the Rainbow Room and the performances that happened there was when Jimi Hendrix showed up. Now, he wasn't your typical performer when it came to the Rainbow Room. He iconically just went onto the checkerboard stage, grabbed himself an instrument, and started shredding the guitar when he just decided that he wanted to play with the house band. And that is just such a cool story. I can't imagine eating my dinner, enjoying a show, and Jimi Hendrix just deciding to grace the stage with his presence. Like, what a time to be alive. <laughs> By the 1980s, Skull's Rainbow Room and Primer's Alley began to really take a turn for the worse. It started to experience financial difficulties, and the scene itself just was not as lively as it once was. And when it comes to Skull's Rainbow Room, it ended up closing in 1998. And now I know that I said it was experiencing financial difficulties, but there was a larger reason for the closing of the Rainbow Room. And that was because the owner, David Skull Shulman, was actually murdered during a robbery gone wrong in his own bar, which is absolutely devastating but it was known that Skull had a really large heart and he was known to be fl flamboyant in his clothing style, but realistically, it was no secret that Skull had money. 
He was known for his hospitality and his charity, and he was just known to provide odd jobs here and there, part-time help for anyone that needed any kind of help getting up on their feet. And so at this point, someone who worked part-time for Skull in an odd job, probably during the busy season, remembered that he kept a large wad of cash in the front pocket of his hee-haw overalls that he was known to wear at the bar and just around Printer's Alley in general, to the point where a plan was formed to rob Skull and take the money make some quick cash. But when it came down to it, David Skull Shulman fought back with a vengeance. He did not want to go down without a fight, but he ended up being murdered inside the Rainbow Room at the bar. He was discovered by a cigarette vendor, and he had his throat slit and was badly beaten, and his poodle at the time, Sweetie, was walking around the bar kind of aimlessly trying to figure out what was going on. And although he was quickly hospitalized, he ended up dying the day after, and he was just 80 years old. And to live that long and for that to be the way you go out, it's just, it's increasingly devastating to me knowing that he was so kind and that one of the people responsible for this was taking advantage of his kindness at one point. But because of this murder, Nashville was just in shock. It was a blast of insanity and the entire music com community as a whole was just really shook to their core. Tanya Tucker famously rushed to Skullman's bedside and Willie Nelson even made an appearance on America's Most Wanted in an effort to catch his killer. Celebrities flocked to his funerals and politicians, bartenders, servers, performers, Everybody in Nashville came together to really pay tribute to the mayor, the late mayor of Printer's Alley. And there's a very famous kind of saying that was said at his funeral where the rich and famous stood shoulder to shoulder with the broke and the forgotten, brought together by a man who welcomed them all. That night, the rainbow room remained locked and its lights out. Although Printer's Alley may always be there, it will never be the same. And so after Skull was murdered, the Rainbow Room ended up being closed for 17 years. So for a long time, they could not pinpoint who the killer was, but in 2001, they ended up finding the killers, James Covey and Jason Pence, and they charged them with the murder of David Shulman. Pence was a carnival worker at the Tennessee State Fair, but he knew Shulman because of the fact that he had employed him as a part-time custodian, which is how he knew about the cash and the overalls. Cavey ended up receiving a life sentence, and Pence pleaded guilty to facilitating murder, received 15 to 25 years in prison, which, in my opinion, is never enough for taking an innocent life. The Rainbow Room, because of the fact that this murder happened, it sat closed, vacant. It was even used as a storage room for neighboring businesses until 2015, when Phil Martin and David Wildman decided to reopen Skull's Rainbow Room to the public. It was said that the 
building in itself was flooded, it had caught fire, and it was just, it was just a menacing task to undertake to get this club reopened. Um, but they were dedicated to preserving the site and the history that came along with the Rainbow Room. They kept the original stage and they realized that all these stories were built into the building and it was really important for them to really dedicate themselves to preserve the history of the site. Also, Willie Nelson was a part of the house band. Uh, it's said that Elvis, Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan, they all played on the checkerboard stage and supposedly Paul McCartney even wrote songs here when he moved to Nashville. So it's something really important to a lot of people and I think when you go to Skull's Rainbow Room, that is really communicated. You see just the amount of detail. They have Skull's jackets and his overalls and a letter from Hee Haw on the wall. And it is just a true experience. And you kind of step back in time and you're in this small little museum of what it was like to be a part of Skull's world when he was around. However, because of the fact that Skull was murdered on site. It's said that the Rainbow Room is haunted. Uh, Skull, at one point, is said to have said that the alleyway will always be here, I expect, and I'll stay here with it. And so I don't know if he kind of knew that was a similar way of how he was going to go out, if he was going to die in the alley or not. But supposedly, if you're looking for spirits, you can go to Skull's Rainbow Room. This is actually how I discovered Skull's Rainbow Room. I went on a haunted Nashville pub crawl and I got to experience Skull's Rainbow Room from a very paranormal perspective. So as soon as I got home, I dived into the music aspect and I was pleasantly surprised. But because of the fact that Skull was murdered on site, it's said that people who are sensitive to spiritual energies can see Skull in all his glory in Printer's Alley. And of course, he is accompanied by at least one small white poodle. Some people say that he's a lifelong resident of the Rainbow Room and Printer's Alley and that he roams across his former property. Witnesses and visitors alike have said that his poltergeist is within the establishment. But of course, he's not haunting it alone and when travelers do see Skull, they often see Sweetie who is with him. And one of my favorite little bits, um, I'm not sure if this is true, but for my own sanity, I want to believe this, but I was told that because of the fact that Skull was murdered in the Rainbow Room, and it is believed that his spirit still lives and runs within the, the Rainbow Room, that at the end of the night when the bar closes, the barback and the bartender take down one shot glass and Skull's favorite choice of bourbon and they leave that on the bar at the end of the night of closing for him to enjoy while the patrons are outside of the Rainbow Room. And I think that's super sweet, and I just think it puts a nice little bow on the story of Skull and Skull's Rainbow Room. But with that, we come to an end of another episode of the Mixtape. We took a trip down memory lane and explored one of my favorite places in Nashville, and looked into the rich history of Skull's Rainbow Room. From the jazz greats of the 1940s and 50s to rock and roll icons of the 1960s, Skull's Rainbow Room has literally played host to some of the most legendary performers of all time. The unique atmosphere and its intimate setting, 
have made it a beloved part of Nashville's music scene for over 70 years, and it has earned it a high profile spot in my own heart. While the venue has faced its fair share of challenges in recent years, its new owners are committed to preserving its legacy and its history, and they continue to bring up top-notch stuff. Uh, the food is a wonderful experience, the drinks are an amazing experience, the talent there and the history is so well preserved that I cannot recommend the experience enough. So hopefully when I travel back to Nashville, hopefully within the next uh, year or so, I will experience Skull's Rainbow Room, hopefully from a different perspective, and maybe I'll even try and talk to some of the members of the establishment there for you guys and get an insider look on what it is like to work in the Rainbow Room. And as always, thank you guys for tuning into the mixtape. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and learned something new and have a new bucket list item for you to explore when you go to Nashville. It's one of the most iconic music venues that I've ever been to. And I hope that you guys, if you do choose to go, enjoy the experience of Skull's Rainbow Room just as much as I did. And as always, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please let me know. Don't forget to subscribe. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and whatever other streaming platform is available and if you go to miasmixtape.com you can follow all of our social media read our blog shop our merchandise and even fill out a contact form if you have an idea for a topic if you have a guest you want me to interview or if you have a venue that you want me to explore the history on fill out that contact form and let me know so for real this time that's it for today's episode of the mixtape stay cool and never stop rocking no oh, okay have you ever been to skull's rainbow room hmm? no i'll have to take you oh okay that's what she has to say about that. And that's a wrap on another episode of The Mixtape. We hope you've enjoyed the ride and discovered some new tunes along the way. Don't forget to follow us on all our socials to stay updated on future episodes and join in on the conversation. Until next time, keep the music playing and never stop rocking. <laughs>